Please have a seat. And can you please turn with me to Matthew 24? Matthew 24. Should we just try out the other slides as people are looking it up? Ooh, keep on pressing. I see. Okay. We might have a bit of a problem. Never mind. We'll just do it. Uh, can I get you, everyone, to, if you could just uh, open up your outlines. Um, it would be really helpful to have the outlines because the, uh, the slides won't be very clear. Um, but the outlines will be there. Um, and then... Oh, there you go. That's better, isn't it? Yay! Well done. Okay. Right. Uh, so, have your outlines there anyway. Uh, and open up with me to Matthew 24. Now, um, those of you who have been with us for a while will know that uh, we have been doing a series through Matthew. Uh, we stopped, I think, late last year, uh, and, uh, and we are picking it up, uh, picking it up again now, having done our finished our Genesis series. So, uh, Matthew chapter 24, uh, verses 1 to 14. Let's pray as we as we begin. Heavenly Father, we know that uh, your word alone will last. And we pray that you'll be teaching us by your word now. We pray your spirit, who uh, inspired these words to be written, uh, would be our guide. And that uh, we pray that uh, he would be um, uh, convicting our hearts and causing us to listen to what Jesus has to say. Um, and that we would be uh, uh, heeding his warnings uh, and his encouragements. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been hearing a lot about collapsing buildings recently. Uh, Jai Supermarket in PJ collapsed as it was being prepared for demolition, and sadly, seven workers were killed in the tragedy. And then there was that stadium in Trungano, whose roof collapsed, but thankfully no one was injured. In our passage today, Jesus talks about a collapse, talks about a demolition. And it's a demolition of the temple, the house of God, the place in Jerusalem where God's presence dwelt. And it was going to be destroyed. That was a very significant thing in the history of the world. And to understand this, let's consider the context of the passage we're looking at. We are now in the last week of Jesus' life. At the beginning of the week, in Matthew 21, Jesus had entered Jerusalem, coming as king. And the first thing that he did was to enter the temple. Jesus cleansed the temple. He threw out the money changers, the merchants there. He taught in the temple. He healed the blind and the lame. All the things that the the Messiah was going to do. But the religious leaders, the temple authorities, the rulers of Israel, they had rejected him. They sought to trap him. And he showed from the Old Testament, hello, you can come and join me here. You want to do that? Yes, okay. You can stay. Um, He he showed from the Old Testament that, that he was God come to his temple. And yet they continued to reject him. They even plotted to kill him. And so, in Matthew 23, Jesus pronounced God's judgment against Israel and her leaders. Back in chapter 21, Jesus quoting the scripture and called the temple, my temple. My house, rather. 
But by the end of Matthew 23, he calls it your house. God had come to his temple as the prophets had said, but he was rejected. And so in the end, he would leave. And Jesus, God made flesh, left the temple, never to return again. The temple would not be God's house anymore. It would just be their house. An empty shell as far as God's concerned, and the judgment would fall. Now, when Jesus left the temple, his disciples weren't, weren't so keen to go. They, they didn't want to give up on the building so fast. You know what it's like. People get attached to buildings, don't they? See, this temple it was, was so big, so great, so impressive. It, 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 it was a center, in a sense, of the promises of God in the Old Testament. And... They pointed out to Jesus how, how wonderful this, this temple was. In chapter 24, verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away when the disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. See, Lord, isn't it wonderful? And he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. In other words, the temple is going to be devastated. It was heading for destruction. So don't be too impressed with it, guys. Don't be so caught up with the shadows. Don't be so enamored with this architect's model that only points forward to the real thing. The reality has come. The model is going to be destroyed. And then when Jesus left the temple, we see in verse 3 that he went to the Mount of Olives. Now the Mount of Olives was across the Kidron Valley, east of the temple. Let me show you on the model, see if you can see it. Next slide, thank you. Yep. Okay, that's a model of Jerusalem in the, in the time of Jesus. All right? So the whitish areas, the built up areas. Number one, no, sorry, number two there, you see, um, that is where the temple is. And number one, thank you. That is where the Mount of Olives was. And in between, there is a valley. Right? So the Mount of Olives is on the eastern side of the temple. Hey, let me show you the next picture. It's a, it's a photograph of Jerusalem uh, taken from the Mount of Olives. So you're on the Mount of Olives. You're looking uh, westwards to Jerusalem. Um, and let me see. If you look right in the middle... Uh, that's it. You see that? Ah, okay. You see that uh, that little dome there? Right. That is a dome of the rock mosque, uh, which is built on the site of the temple. Right. So here, from the Mount of Olives, you can look across and you can see the temple uh, down from the, the Kidron Valley. And the rest of the chapter, Jesus is sitting up here on the Mount of Olives. Right. And the temple down there. Now, there's a really significant thing about that. It's not just the view. Remember our Old Testament reading today from Ezekiel? There was a vision that God gave the prophet Ezekiel just before Jerusalem was destroyed in the, in the, in the, uh, in the exile at 587 BC. Because, and, and, and back then, what God was saying is because of the wickedness of the city, I am leaving the temple. 
See, the people in the Old Testament thought, we've got the temple of God here, God is with us, we're going to be safe. No one's going to destroy the city. And, G- and, and the prophet Ezekiel sees in his vision the glory of God departing from the temple and departing from the city. And then when God left, then the judgment came. Now, in Ezekiel 10, which we read, the first part, the glory of God left the temple. And at the end of Ezekiel 10, it was at the east gate of the temple. In the first part of Ezekiel 11, judgment is pronounced on the wicked leaders of Israel. The second part of Ezekiel 11, God promised the time will come beyond the judgment when he will restore Israel and give people a new heart. And at the end of Ezekiel 11, look what it says. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings, the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them, and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. That is, the Mount of Olives. See what's happening? What happened in Ezekiel's vision is happening again in in the flesh. The glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ had left the temple and the city and moved to the Mount of Olives. And from then, the judgment would fall. All was left now was for that empty shell to be destroyed. But when? Would it be immediate? Would it happen later? When when would it be? Well, if we do a little bit of sneaky work and read ahead to verse 34, we will see that it will take place within one generation. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. The generation that had rejected Christ would be the generation that would see the judgment. The old temple would be destroyed within one generation of Israel rejecting her Messiah. And that makes sense theologically too, doesn't it? Because with the death and resurrection of Jesus, the temple is no longer needed. Jesus is the true temple where we meet God, and so the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, the destruction of the temple, all one complex. It happens all within one generation. And, if we look back in history, we'll know the prophecy of Jesus came true. In the year 70 AD, Jerusalem was ransacked by the Romans. Thousands of people were slaughtered. The temple was destroyed. The nation was utterly ruined. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible occasion. We'll talk about it more next week, because we're jumping ahead ourselves a bit. Right? The disciples haven't even asked this question yet. So we go back. Mount of Olives, Jesus is sitting there, and the disciples approach him privately. They're getting worried. This is not the first time Jesus talked about the temple being destroyed, but this is very serious. There's all these woes, and he's leaving the temple. And so they say to him in verse 3, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? See, in the mind of the disciples, all those three things were the same. Judgment on the city and the temple, the coming of the king, the end of the present age, the dawn of the new one, they're all the same thing in their minds. Now, we know now they're not exactly the same thing. One is a sign or a shadow of the other. You can describe one in terms of the other, but they're not actually the same event. They're actually separated out in history. But the disciples don't know this yet. As far as they can understand, the coming of the Messiah, the end of the world, the day of judgment, the destruction of the temple, 
all part of that same thing. Jesus doesn't actually challenge their assumptions, be clear enough in time. Rather, he answers their question as they've asked it. He paints a picture of the judgment on the temple. And he does so in such a way as to point beyond that judgment to the final judgment, his coming. Which in turn is anticipated by the judgment and salvation which was going to be achieved by his death and resurrection. Again, we'll look at that in more detail next week. Because this week we're only looking at the first part of his answer to their question. Verses 3 to 14 of chapter 24. And the funny thing is, as we read that, Jesus is still in introduction mode. What Jesus describes in verses 4 to to, to 14 um, is what happens before the end. Maybe way before the end. way before God's, God's judgment falls. In fact, he calls at the beginning of verse 8 the, just the beginning of the birth pangs. Right? Birth pangs are like contractions in labour. Some of you know about that. Uh, they start long before the baby starts, before the baby's born. Right? They continue and they progress, but, but the first contraction doesn't mean the baby's about to pop out. It just means the whole process has started. The countdown's begun. And so what we're really talking about isn't the signs of the close of the age. This is what's going to happen just before the close of the age, as our ESV heading would have it. They are, but only in a very general sense. These are the things that will happen and continue to happen between when Jesus speaks these things and when they are fulfilled. This is what life will be like before the judgment. So, by the way, don't trust the headings. Headings are there they're not part of the text, they're not part of God's word, they're put there by our translators to try and be helpful to us, and usually they are, but, but, but they're not part of God's word. And so, if we, uh, we, don't, we don't read them in church, do we? Okay? If you're a Bible reader, don't read the headings when you're reading the Bible in church. Except in the Psalms, actually. In the Psalms, there are, there are uh, headings in bold, like everywhere else, which are put in by translators, but there's little headings uh, in capitals, which are actually part of the text. But if you can't, even check with me if you're not sure. Right? The fact is, these things that Jesus is talking about don't necessarily mean the judgment is about to happen. Right? These are the things he says in this section that are going to happen again and again and again. And so when the disciples see these things, they're not meant to be get too worried about the judgment. They are characteristic of life before that judgment. And the things that Jesus says will happen before the judgment can be divided into two kinds. Things that affect the world as a whole, and things that are specifically to do with his followers. And if we look at it, verses 4 to 8 are about things to do with the world as a whole, and verses 9 to 14 are more about things to do with his followers. And we'll look at each of them in turn. Among things that affect the community as a whole, firstly, there will be false messiahs. Verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will lead many astray. Our disciples were to expect to see pretenders. And secondly, there will be conflicts and wars, verses 6 and 7, where you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. 
Thirdly, there'll be natural disasters from the end of verse 7. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of the birth pangs. Then he talks about things that are specific to his followers. Believers will be persecuted. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to the tribulation and put you to death and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Believers handed over for punishment. Capital punishment. People hate them because of the name of Jesus. And persecution will lead to apostasy. That is turning away from the faith. And in that persecution, many people will apostatize. Verse 10. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate each other. Not only leaving the faith themselves, but also reporting those who are still there. Another cause for apostasy will be false prophets. Verse 11. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And then there will be lawlessness, people stopping obeying God's word. Verse 12. And because of lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So, and so, so wickedness will abound in the community of disciples. Many will stop loving Jesus. And lots of people who previously seemed to be his disciples would, would give up. It was going to be terrible. And so the future was characterized by, on the outside, false Christs, Wars, natural disasters, and on the inside, false prophets, persecution, apostasy. But, there were two bright beacons of hope. Two things Jesus says to make us realize it's still okay. Firstly, there'll be those who endure. There'll be a remnant who press on. Verse 13, for the one who endures to the end will be saved. Salvation will be for those who keep trusting Jesus. That's an encouragement. And secondly, even during this time, verse 14, the gospel will go out and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, finally then, the end will come. The judgment that Jesus is talking about. Now friends, we earlier saw that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, less than 40 years after Jesus said these things. And we know what happened. Was Jesus right? Did these, did these things happen in the time between he said this and when God brought judgment upon the temple in AD 70? Well, the answer is yes. Think about the things that affected the whole community. False messiahs. Early Christian writers point to Simon Magus, whom, who we met in Acts 8, as one of them. There was a man called Docetius who claimed to be the Messiah. The Jewish historian Josephus said imposter messiahs were arrested all the time by the Romans. False Christs. There were wars and conflicts. In that period of time there were all kinds of conflicts. There was an uprising in Alexandria which killed 50,000 Jews. 10,000 were massacred in Damascus, 50,000 in Seleucia, 20,000 Jews died in the battles of Caesarea. Tacitus, the Roman historian, described this period with phrases like disturbances in Germany, commotions in Africa, insurrections in Gaul, intrigues among the Parthians, and the war in Britain. In one 18-month period, there were four different Roman emperors. Conflicts and wars? Yes, yes there were. What about natural disasters? 
Well, there was a great famine in the book of Acts talks about. Roman historians speak of at least three more. There's an earthquake mentioned in Acts 16. The earthquakes are also reported in Crete, Smyrna, Miletus, Chios, Samos, Apamea, Capania, Rome, Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae between the time of Jesus and the fall of Jerusalem. What about things that affect primarily the Christian community? Persecution. Well, we saw persecution happening right throughout the book of Acts, haven't we? False prophets and lawlessness. We read about them all over the epistles of the New Testament. How people were led astray to lawlessness. And then what about the gospel going out into all the world? Well, the world, word world there actually means that the known world. That is the inhabited area, the, the Roman Empire. That's the word used in Luke chapter 2 verse 1 where it says Caesar Augustus decrees a census to be taken of the whole world. Or in Acts 11.28, Agabus predicts a famine in the whole world. Or Paul when he writes the uh, uh, Romans says um, that their faith has been proclaimed in all the world. Or in Colossians 1.6 when he, he, he writes way before the fall of Jerusalem that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. You see, the gospel has spread throughout the Roman Empire before the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. The prophecy of Jesus was right. All these things had happened before God poured out his wrath on Jerusalem. And those were the things that continued throughout that time. But you know, friends, the, the judgment on Jerusalem was a shadow of a greater judgment to come. A judgment in which the whole world would be made accountable for its sin. And so the judgment on Jerusalem is, is like a rehearsal, a picture, a model of the final judgment. And many things that Jesus says here about the judgment on Jerusalem applies to the final judgment as well. And the warnings Jesus gives here are just like the warnings about the final judgment. And you know what's, what must happen before the final judgment? All the same things that happened before the AD 70. We must be we must we, we need to be ready for the final judgment as much as the disciples needed to be ready for AD seventy judgment. And what does Jesus say in our passage about this? Well he warns us about the things that will happen beforehand. These aren't things, as we said before, that happened just before the second coming. Well, these are the beginnings of the birth pangs. Things that will happen again and again and again throughout history. Like contractions as the mother's in labour. Over and over again. This is what life will be like between when Jesus first gave these words and the end. Think about those things again. Things that affect the wider community. False messiahs. Well, there'll always be people who lead people astray, won't they? People who claim to be Christ or prophets of God and yet are not. And we've seen them down through the ages. In the second century AD, a Jewish rebel named Simon Barcoba claimed to be the messiah. Claiming that he was the last and greatest prophet usurping the place of Christ. So Joseph Smith in the 19th century America who founded the Mormons claimed that he was a prophet of Jesus. In the 20th century we had Sun Myung Moon in Korea who founded the Moonies. Says Jesus appeared to him and told him to do so. And you look at their cult website his wife says the Messiah is the true parents of humankind. That's Reverend Mrs. Moon. There's Sai Baba in India. Claimed to be the cosmic Christ, though not Jesus himself. 
And of course, there's Jim Jones in America who poisoned all his cult followers. They claim to be, among other things, the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. See, they keep on coming. And they will keep on coming. And we're just waiting for the next one. Fully expect that will be the case. Jesus says it will happen. Just see to it that no one leads you astray. What about conflicts and wars and natural disasters? Well, that's been true all the time, hasn't it? Wars, famines, earthquakes. Sometimes people say, oh, look at all the wars, all the earthquakes. It means Jesus is about to come back soon. Well, he may be, but you can't tell from the wars and famines and earthquakes. Because if you read history, you'll see that wars always happen. They've always been a part of the sinful human experience. Somewhere in the world there is always a war going on. Right until today. Famines and earthquakes are going on right until today. And in spite of all our scientific advances, in spite of the fact there is enough food for everyone in the world, there is still famine. And when it comes to earthquakes, we still get those. This year so far we've had nine. Last year there were 32. Deadly ones aren't so common. Big ones recently, 2,500,000 people died in an earthquake in the West India and Pakistan, which left another 3.5 million homeless. Of course, the biggest one in recent history was that uh, Boxing Day earthquake off the coast of Sumatra in 2004, which led to the tsunami, with 230,000 people dead or missing. The only bigger death tolls in history were from earthquakes in 1776 and 1556 in, in China. And Jesus' point is, don't be alarmed. The fact that there are false messiahs and there's conflicts and natural disasters don't necessarily mean his coming is just about to happen. These are the beginnings of the earth pain, the birth pains. And, and then you've got those things that are permanently affecting God's people. Believers will be persecuted, he says. Well, persecution is still part of what happens to God's people. It's always been the case. Even after AD 70, Christians were persecuted. Were persecuted in ancient Rome. 20,000 Christians, for example, died under the reign of Emperor Diocletian. More than 1,000 Christians were martyred under Shakur II in 341 in Persia. In the 16th century, half the population of Iraq was Christian. And per- persecution has re- reduced that to a handful today. In Sudan, 1.5 million Christians have been killed since 1984 by Arab militia. It's estimated that 20 million Christians died or were incarcerated in the Soviet Union. And we haven't started talking about India, Nigeria, Communist China, Nazi Germany, Saudi Arabia, medieval Japan, Spain in the Inquisition, modern Pakistan, and the millions killed in the 20th, early 20th century in the Ottoman Empire, Turkey. And when you put statistics together, you find that 150,000 people more are killed each year for their faith in Christ. And the numbers are rising. Persecution, even death, is rife today and it's been rife throughout Christian history. Some will persevere and die, but many will give up and fall away. Apostasy. And sadly that happens too. And remember, it's not just persecution that leads to apostasy. Apostasy also happens when people are led astray by false teaching. Deceived by false prophets. We've had them throughout Christian history as well. 
In the second century, we had a guy called Montanus, claimed to receive a series of divine revelations from the Holy Spirit. He was accompanied by two women, Priscilla and Maximilla, also claimed a fresh work of the Spirit. And they, they spoke, had visions, and said, Thus says the Lord, and they give prophecies, I, the Lord God, say to you, da 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 with aesthetic utterances and trances, they'll get their followers to fast and pray, so they may also share in these personal revelations. And it's a big division in the church. Some people rejected it. Some people say, this is genuine. Was it? Well, Montanus prophesied the second coming and the new Jerusalem in a town in his area, and it didn't happen. It turned out to be a false prophet. Very, very big. And it's always just been that way. Montanus was the first of many. During the Reformation, while Martin Luther and other reformers were, were defending justification by faith, there were, other, there, were, there were radicals who were trying to get back to what they saw as the pure church of Acts. And why not just to have the Spirit without the Bible? There's a guy called Thomas Munster from a group called the Zwickau Prophets. Derived Christian leaders who didn't receive so-called revelations. Led 8,000 peasants in revolt. Convincing them that God was on their side and would grant them the victory. The rebellion was crushed and many people died and Munster was captured and killed. He was shown to be a false prophet. Even today there will be people who claim to be prophets and are not. But you, you can't tell, can you? You have to wait for the prophecy to fail before you can prove it. Jesus says false prophets will arise. They have and they always will. That's just the nature of things between his first and second coming. He has also said in verse 12 and 13 that there will be lawlessness. People will stop obeying God's word and stop loving God. And we've seen that down through the ages as well, within the Christian community. Roman Catholicism in the Middle Ages was hopelessly corrupt. The church as an institution prevented people from reading the Bible and finding about the salvation that has been won for us in Christ. And instead they... They trap people into being dependent on the institution for sacraments, which they said only they can give, and without which they taught no one can be saved. So you're dependent on us guys. And they persecuted those who tried to get back to the Bible. A current day Anglicanism has become corrupted as well, especially overseas, where, where liberals who don't accept the Bible as the highest authority control the church hierarchy. And not only do they, they, they practice evil and they allow it, they even persecute those who, in the denomination, who are, who are trying to be faithful to the Bible. It's exactly what's happening in America and Canada. It's not just in the Anglican denomination, it's like that in many other denominations as well. But we mustn't despair, because Jesus fully expected that many would fall away. That was just what he said. And yet there will be those who are faithful. There will be those who remain trusting in Christ. And Jesus promised in verse 13 that those who endure to the end will be saved. And so in the midst of all this, we still have the gospel going out. And yes, it had gone out into all the world by AD 70, but it's still going out into all the world in a much greater sense, isn't it? More and more people and groups are, are being rich with the gospel. Now, one third of the people in the world claim to be Christian of some sort or another. A Lusanne Statistical Task Force estimates that in 2000, 11.2% of, of, of Christians were, uh, of people were, were what they think were, were genuine believers. I, I don't know how you work that out, but, but uh, that's what their estimates are. And growing rapidly. 
as you see from the graph. Now, of course, you don't know people's hearts. You don't know how many people really are believers who will actually persevere. Jesus warned that many won't persevere. So, statistics can be misleading. But we do know that the gospel is rapidly expanding. And the gospel will continue to go out until people from every tribe and language and nation come to bow before Jesus and find their salvation in him. So, brothers and sisters, what have we learned today from this passage? Well, we've seen that God was prepared to bring his judgment on Jerusalem. And he did. God is faithful to his promises to judge as well as his promises to save. And we've seen the way the world was as God prepared to bring his judgment on Jerusalem, which is the way the world is and will continue to be until Jesus returns. There will be false messiahs and wars and natural disasters on the one hand and there will be persecutions, betrayal, falling away, false prophets, apostasy, lawlessness on the other hand. But those who endure to the end will be saved. The gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. So what should we do? Beware of false messiahs. Don't panic when you hear of wars and natural disasters. Be prepared for persecution. Ignore false prophets. Endure to the end. Preach the gospel. And come back next week when we get to the rest of the chapter. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we we thank you uh, for the encouragements and the warnings that you have given us in your word. And we thank you that the Lord Jesus has not left us um, without what we need to know, uh, what we need to know on how to expect to to have life in this world um, as we wait for the judgment to come. We know that there are many things that are scary, false messiahs and false prophets and wars and rumors of wars and people falling away lawlessness and apostasy famines and earthquakes Lord yet you've also given us the hope that those who persevere will be saved and that your gospel will will indeed go out into all the world. Father, please may we be people who do persevere and are saved. Father, please may we be um, those who keep on trusting in Jesus and keep on following him and not, not turning to the right or the left, not being deceived and being willing to uh, face whatever we need to whether it's disaster or persecution or even just the more subtle um, temptations of this world our father we we thank you that um, yeah, that the Lord Jesus is so realistic about um, what the expectations are and so that we can be we can be confident as we as we look at this world and we look at your word and we know that 
um, that, that you're fulfilling your plans and your purposes. That things aren't out of control. Um, but that you are doing your job. Please, Father, help us to, to rest in that and to, and, to, uh, and to trust you. And we pray that you will help us be part of that, that great work of, of bringing your gospel to all the nations uh, before the end comes. And help us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.